Thank you for joining us on this journey to discover more about the English Riviera UNESCO Global Geopark, one of Earth's extraordinary places. In this series of interviews, our patron, Professor Ian Stewart, explores what it is that makes this geopark so special, from when the rocks around us were formed, to evidence of early humans, and right up to artists and writers who are being inspired by the geopark today. Welcome again to the latest in the Geopark in Focus uh, series, where we're celebrating the English Riviera UNESCO Global Geopark and its its connection to, to everything really, to the rocks, to the landscape, to everyday life, and to to culture. And, and in particular, in this this uh, episode, really, we're looking at culture, and we've looked at culture in a number of ways. We've looked at the artistic flourishing around it. Mm. Um, but actually, today's one, we're looking at the writers, the, the people that have been writing, they're using the inspiration of the backdrop of the English Riviera, Torbay area, um, to, to pursue their craft. And with us, we've got, got three very able guides, local guides to, to this kind of topic, we've got Heather, Kevin and Mark. And I'll ask them to introduce themselves, really, and to talk each to maybe say a few words about their the context in which they're, they're here and, and what they're interested in. And Heather, it'd be remiss of me not to start with you. So Heather, please oh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection here. Thank you, Ian. Um, well, I'm Heather Soderlind and I uh, retired to Torbay about seven years ago after uh, trotting around the world and living abroad for a number of years, more than 13 years. And I currently chair the Literature Works, which is the Literature Development Agency for the whole of the Southwest region. Um, but obviously, because I live in Torbay, I have a particular interest in Torbay. And I'm also chair of the International Agatha Christie Festival, a festival which takes place in Torquay every year around her birthday in September. And, and one thing the International Agatha Christie Festival is doing at the moment is um, looking for the next queen of crime among young people in Torbay and across Devon. And we'd love to give a bit of a leg up uh, to someone who finds a passion for writing and try and encourage that. Um, so um, my interest is very much literary and writers on the Riviera is very much top of mind in, in my daily um, occupation. And, and I think it's fair to say that Agatha will feature very strongly and prominently. In today's I'm episode. sure. Uh, I, Matt, you're next on my list here. Uh, hi, um, so my name is Matt Newbury and I'm one of those rare things. I'm actually kind of a local. So I was born in Tynmouth and uh, I made the big move to Torquay when I was 16. Um, so I came up the coast a little bit. So uh, I'm, I'm a local person who grew up. I kind of enjoy lots of things. I'm a wild swimmer, so I, I get out in the sea quite a lot. I uh, love exploring the coastline around here. My, uh, my, my day job is work at Tor Abbey Museum, um, which is an 800-year-old uh, abbey that was laid to a stately home and it's now um, an amazing collection of art uh, and it's where the uh, Agatha Christie Festival is, is held every year it's one of the central locations of that uh, we've got a, a potent plants garden in the back, back of that which I'll talk about later all connected to Agatha Christie um, and I also write books I've written a book on Agatha Christie in Devon um, and I also write wild swimming books as well so uh, wild swimming walks uh, was a book that sort of featured lots of walks around Torbay as well so that's me. And I love your backdrop there, Goodrington Sands, nice kind of local. Well, we've actually talked about it so many times over in terms of maybe the geology and, and 
But that's a really nice advert that you've got. Just so, so that's my uh, that's my back garden. Well, not quite my back garden. Just down the road is Goodington Sands. So uh, I should be after this going down there for a little dip and a, and a bit of a barbecue, I think. <laughs> uh, Kevin, talk us through your contribution. Yeah, sure. Um, um, my name's Kevin Dixon. Um, I see I'm, I'm, again, a local lad. Well, me, well, my dad moved here when I was two, so that's just about enough, isn't it? So we can get away with that more one. Me, more than me anyway, that's for sure. Is that all right? Broad border, you just lived down, it's just down the corridor here. Yeah, um, let me see. I, I grew up in Torquay, and when I was at school, it was it was Agatha Christie country, and it was just known for that. Um, and what I do now is I sort of, um, I'm involved in health and social care because I chair Health Watch, which is there to monitor and I'm on the culture board. Um, I'm really interested in how we use uh, culture and history and the locality to... Uh, improve you know what where we are today so whether that's uh, in health and social care whether it's looking at you know mental distress uh, about social cohesion and it's bring and I'm really interested in those kind of forgotten and hidden stories and we see Torquay as a I don't know it was the richest town in England at one time and it isn't now so how do you how do you use those you know stories and bringing out uh, the hidden histories whether it's and there's a women's history and there's a LGBT history and a um, you know all of those, those kind of sort of cultural histories, and I'm I'm really and I just really find it exciting to go into a group of I don't know, fifty or hundred people who don't know what I'm there for, and just keeping them interested in local culture for an hour. So that that's interesting, uh, Kevin. I'd like to pick that up because we've talked in some of the other episodes about how the the physical splendor of the, of the bay, the, the the rocks and the landscape kind of feed this notion that the green gem and the blue gem, the health of us. But, but this idea of culture feeding it is, is equally, is important, maybe, maybe more so. So one of the things that surprised me, and I think surprised a lot of people come down here, is it looks as beautiful whole destination and very affluent and all the rest of it. But it's got some of the, some of the poorest wards in the country. And I know talking to some teachers that talk about in Torbay, people, kids that have never been to the sea, which yeah, is absolutely, you know, gravity always just carries you down there. But yeah. tell, tell me a little bit more, and we'll, we'll kind of expand a, a little bit about the importance then of literature, particularly, but engaging people in that creative side for their well-being. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the obvious, you know, example on the ground is the thing that Matt and I did about, you know, the literature walk. And um, we came from a, a slightly different angle. Um and I, I quite like using the, you know, the individual writers and that to, you know, to explore different themes. I mean, the Oscar Wilde one is obviously it's LGBT issues and whatever. So it's, it's a way of including people. Uh, on a more, uh, you know, basic line, we, we managed to put those little pamphlets out in GP surgeries. So they are, so it links into that social prescribing thing. Mm. So, um, and what's his name? Um, the, the Prime Minister's thing about obesity. You know, you go to your GP surgery and the, the, GP, the, the GP says, oh, well, here's your tablets or you know, you really ought to lose some weight. And and it's the social prescribing thing as well. You don't need to spend, you know, quarter of a million pounds on developing exercise equipment like, like they do in Los Angeles on the beach. You've got rock walk. So, and while you're doing it, so it's it's getting it's getting people exercise and interest and dragging them in on that, that way. Um, just by giving them a walk and giving them something interesting to do. So linking, you know, um, history and literature up with physical exercise and, and interest. And I've always thought that, another example i've always thought that um local history is is the most sort of democratic of arts or sciences because anybody can actually get involved in it you know if you're vaguely interested in something you're involved and i see heather nodding vigorously yeah. well i think it's it's well known that um reading in particular is very good for your mental health yeah. and um i'm aware that uh, many people go to their gp um 
not so much suffering from physical ailment as, as depression of, of various kinds or worries about life. And to be able to be directed to your local library, Torbay, very rich in, in uh, amazing public libraries, borrow books, encouraged to read, uh, not only the heritage writers, but contemporary writers, join a book club, go on a walk. All of these things are uh, fantastic for, for, your, for your well-being generally. I, th I think what's really interesting um, in Torbay is we've, we've had some really big hitters coming down here in the past who were drawn here and inspired by the, the coastline and the, and the beautiful beaches and views. You've got everybody from like Charles Kingsley, Charles Dickens, uh, Rudyard Kipling, uh, Charles Darwin wrote down here. We've already mentioned Oscar Wilde. Uh, they all came down here for kind of inspiration to write while they're here. You've also got Agatha Christie, who was born in the resort as well. So you've got some really big names to inspire people, I think. And then, you know, right up to now, we've got people like Leslie Pierce, who's one of the best-selling, I think she's in the top three or four in the charts at the moment. You know, she lives in Torquay as well. So we've still got writers coming down here, being inspired by the, the area and writing down here. But that's brilliant for kind of engaging people and making them, you know, give them a bit of civic pride and, and learning a little bit more about the resort they live in. Yes, I, I think you're, you're right if I can jump in here. I mean, there, there isn't anywhere, as far as I know, and I know I, I am working across the southwest region, we've got Thomas Hardy in Wessex and Coleridge in Somerset, but there's nowhere like the English Riviera for such a concentration of um, the icons of English literature, if I can put it that way. And um, you might say, well, some of these, like Kingsley, Bernard Shaw and others, less well-read today, but nonetheless, they've left a kind of mark in the fact they stayed at a particular hotel or they were residing in a, a particular building that's still there, Agatha Christie's holiday home, of course, in the stewardship of the National Trust. Um, there are many people who still like to make a pilgrimage to those spots. And there are many people who love to write, who are emerging writers, who can be inspired by, by the places that inspired others. And I think that's why we have such an interest in the writers on the Riviera today. The mapping of the writers of the Riviera was mm. a terrific um, yeah. you know, first step towards um, really acknowledging uh, the, the history of, of Torbay and indeed linking it uh, to the, the fantastic uh, geology and, and, and forms uh, that, that, that the bay offers us. I think that's something about Agatha Christie as well. She really loved getting out and about around the bay. So, you know, um, in the Agatha Christie Mile, we go to the place where she learned to swim, which at the time was a segregated bathing area down at Beacon Cove, and she used to swim there. But later on in life, as she had mixed bathing, um, I think when she was 11, she started going to other places as well. And she's, you know, she was a wild swimmer before it was called wild swimming. So she absolutely loved exploring the coast. And, uh, and, and even when she moved to Greenway later on in her life, she'd go swimming in the River Dart down there. So I, th I think that's quite fascinating as well. So you've mentioned Agatha there, and I think we need to, you know, she's she's the kind of the shining star really in this this area. She's by no means the only author, and we'll get back to many others. But let's let's address it. Who would like to take me into? We've already kind of started into to Agatha's early years and things like that. But um, who, who wants to pick up the story of of Agatha Christie in those early years in in, in this area? Kevin or Matt is probably best place oh, no. in the early years. No. I'm, I'm very keen to talk about what's happening now. But yeah. We'll get to that. So we'll I can, definitely I can, get to that, Heather. Okay. I can have a go. So Agatha Christie was born in, in, in Torquay in 1890. Um, and I, I kind of finally discovered a lot about her life back, back in her, on a, the um, 120th anniversary of her birth uh, for the Agatha Christie Festival. We did a thing where we, we hid 120 red herrings 
all around Agatha Christie country. So uh, <laughs> we, we had cryptic clues and we hit these her herrings all over the place. Were these real herrings? I was going out and put them, uh, they were cut out herrings, not real. Right, okay, so, yeah, I could smell, smell the idea. <laughs> no, of people not no herrings them. were harmed in the making of it. Um, <laughs> and we went and hit them everywhere. And um, the, the amazing thing was, uh, A, I thought nobody would find them all. And Agatha Christie fans are so obsessive, they found loads of them. But as I was going around, I realised actually going around and exploring an area through a, a writer's life is fascinating and there's so many places not only when she was growing up but she's using books around the area as well so on the Agatha Christie mile which you can walk around um the middle of uh Torbay uh, you start at an Agatha Christie statue um you go to Beacon Cove which I mentioned earlier is where she learned to swim she almost drowned at one point and um was a segregated beach you go to the Imperial Hotel that she featured in three of her books you go past the pavilion, which is where um, Archie Christie proposed to her uh, after a Wagner concert. You continue along down the seafront to Princess Pier, which was built in the year she was born, 1890. Uh, and she used to go roller skating there as a child. So that was one of the, the hobbies she had. Um, you carry on walking past Tor Abbey, uh, which she would have gone to social functions at. But then you come to the Grand Hotel, which is where she spent the first night of her honeymoon on Christmas Eve with Archie Critchie. So just in Torbay, you can walk along and yeah. discover all these amazing places that she swam and stuff. So I think it's a really great way of getting exploring. Uh, and you can widen that out further because she obviously bought Greenway House when she came back to the Holiday House later on in life. You go up to Dartmoor, where she wrote her first book. Um, you can go on the Painting and Dartmouth Steam Railway that she would have taken but also Poirot would ride on that as well and we go to Burr Island which is where she set two of her books and then there were none uh, and an evil under the sun so it's a great way of getting out and exploring places and, and I think she's really a fascinating person to inspire you to do that. Does anyone else want to pick up some of that for in terms of their how they see uh, uh, the, 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 I'm trying to get as well that, and it came through there that sense of place and how it's fitted into both her life but also her work. Yes, I mean, one one way of sort of bringing that legacy, which is very much a living legacy. I mean, we still watch the movies on television and their new adaptations and so forth, is um, Literature Works has been placing writers in residence at Greenway House, uh, where you put or you invite a, a modern writer to spend some time in the house, engaging with members of the public, encouraging them to write. I went along to one of these myself and found myself in Agatha's kitchen, um, writing, encouraged to write, think back to my childhood, write a poem about my childhood, um, and the efforts of myself and others who were there, just randomly selected from those who were visiting the house, were subsequently displayed. And there was definitely something to that, to feeling this is where Agatha sat, this is where the room she may have written in, um, very well known that it, it can prove um, extremely inspiring and the walks that Matt was talking about I think it's amazing that we have all these sort of stations that she wrote about because of course she wrote her autobiography and other there have been several biographies since that detailed her life extraordinary life um, because she she not only writes about Torbay but of course she traveled the world. So to what extent can you take Torbay out of her work I mean how how much was physically rooted in Torbay and how much just would have been anywhere if she's just kind of populated it, scattered Torbay through? I mean, how fundamental is it, do you think? Um, I think she included Torbay in, in several of her books. So um, the ABC Murders is, is is kind of an obvious one because it, it features um, Princess Gardens with uh, somebody reading a newspaper about the murders in that. Um, there's a murder victim on Elbury Cove. It features the painting of Dartmouth Stream Railway. So 
you know, that's a book that's very much set around Torbay and, and has a lot of things featured it. Um, several of her other books um, feature Torbay, but she, uh, or Torquay or Torbay, although she might change the name occasionally, it's, it's quite obvious that she's describing the place. Um, but, you know, she also wrote later on in life, she was inspired when she was going out to Alexandria and, and going on the Orient Express and, you know, these other books that, you know, that you think about with the Nile and all these sort of things that, you know, she talked about other places in the world, but I, I do think Torbay was a home and it's a place she always yeah. talked about and she came back to with yeah. Greenway and then set three novels in or around Greenway House as well. So that was another big influence as well. So I think, and um, Dartmoor also featured quite heavily in her books as well. So I think, you know, some of her, because she wrote so many books, obviously lots of them aren't set here. There's yeah, certain yeah. villages with stately homes and cricket pitches and, and you know, sinister characters that could be anywhere in the world. But she, de- she definitely loved Torbay and, and, fit, and put it into things quite often. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. How much is the contemporary draw? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming quite a large number of people when they come down here know this is Agatha Christie country and indeed may come because of that. So I just wonder how much of an important character is she in the, in the tourism, the kind of modern industry? I think she's very important, remains very important. That's why the festival is called the International Agatha Christie Festival. Yeah. Um, there is very wide uh, following in America and in China. Um, with COVID-19, of course, we've had to um, mothball this year's festival, but we're looking forward to 2021 and beyond. And um, we would love to encourage. It's certainly a big part of um, destination marketing um, that um, tours come here uh, and they come right across the UK as well as um, internationally for the festival and at other times of the year. Um, to experience the place that Agatha Christie loved so much. So yeah. My ignorance here, sorry, I was just going to say, what do you do at the festival? Is it talks, academic talks about Agatha Christie, or is it is it much more loose and fun? It's. I hope it is. Um, I hope it is both in in many ways. It's. It is a cross art form festival. It has literature at its heart, um, and there are talks. There are talks about people who know a lot about Agatha Christie's work and life. Um, and there are lots of other uh, related uh, talks by possibly contemporary crime writers. It's not only a crime writing festival by any means. Mm. Uh, there's dance in it. Uh, there are certainly walks in it. And, and Matt Newbury plays a, a part in that, uh, mm. taking people on the, the guided Christie walks. Um, there are all kinds of performance. We very much um, welcome a partnership with a number of venues in Torbay, particularly Tor Abbey, which is where the, the main festival takes place, but also a Palace Theatre Painton, which was a theatre frequented by Agatha in her day. Um, and uh, there's traditionally a wonderful reading there, usually of a lesser known work, sometimes a first performance of, of, of one of the, the works that's not so well known. Princess Theatre also puts on a related uh, plays as does a little theatre and we try and develop around the core which is about a week's worth of activities a whole fringe of activities which also includes the hotels hospitality industry um, and uh, as many as we can at the the best possible festival uh, Torquay Museum I should say um, they have a a permanent exhibition of um, some of Agatha Christie's writing and clothes and various artefacts, well worth seeing. So all of these together form the festival. Sounds like a whole cultural ecosystem. Matt or Kevin, do you want to add anything to it? I mean, how do you, how do you, you talked about the walk, so that sounds like a pretty critical part. Yeah, no, I'm just to just support Heather on that one. I've been to, you know, um, 
some of the festival and it is excellent you know that's uh, it's uh, i think there's a, a little bit parallel with you know with shakespeare country and stratford on avon and things yes. like that and the, the amount of investment and my, my earlier point was really just saying the amount of investment in the whole town of stratford on avon you can't even go there without you know and and how we don't um that there hasn't been the investment and the and, and that's getting a lot better. But I think I think there's still a huge potential there, I think. And I, what is it, Agatha's got this, she's second after the Bible or something like that? And yes, apparently she yeah. still is the best-selling author in spite of, you know, the, the major sellers like J.K. Yeah. Rowling and Hilary Mantel. She still outsells them um, and is the best-selling author after the Bible and Shakespeare. Which is amazing, even in the 21st century. And I think as for sort of relevance at the moment, the Kenneth Branagh films, you know, there's another one coming out. So we, we, we had, de- uh, we got the Death on the Nile film coming out. Um, they're absolutely huge. Um, and the, the, the TV adaptations, every Christmas, there's, there's, there's quite a big TV adaptation. And these things are really, really big productions. You know, BBC are making things that sell you all over the world. So, you know, if you mention, you go anywhere in the world and mention the name Agatha Christie, I reckon yeah. that person would have heard of that first. And there's very few people who say that you know, anywhere. So I think that's amazing. Uh, I think what's really interesting to me is that it's the discussion of Agatha Christie here. He isn't a kind of fossilised, ossified yeah. retrospective stuck in the past. It's a, it's part of a dynamic that continues and brings in contemporary writers and the kind of the sense of place. And it was alluded to earlier on about that this is still a very active environment for modern writers to be writing about very d- different issues from, say, from Agatha. Does anyone want to talk a little bit about that? Contemporary scene. Shall I <laughs> pick up on that one? Um, yes, um, there is, of course, at the moment, a very active crime writing uh, scene. Nordic noir and and other kinds of uh, new influences coming in there. But also, and this I think is particularly relevant for the geopark, um, the interest in nature writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing, um, you know, to, to, to allude to Matt's wild swimming idea, wild writing. Um, there is a, a, there are a sort of notable writers that I, I can quote is um, the poet Alice Oswald, who has a, a big following, T.S. Eliot Prize winning poet, who wrote a book called The Dart, uh, or Dart, and it's all about uh, the river Dart and its tributaries uh, and what that means. And um, Cornish-based writer Natasha Carthew, uh, who has been uh, in South Devon uh, undertaking residences of one kind or another, including working with the National Trust. Uh, she advocates um, what she calls wild writing, which is actually writing outside. So you could imagine, um, you know, her and a group of emerging writers standing on the southwest coast path or at Hope's Nose or wherever, and actually being inspired by that, by the rocks and, 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 and the atmosphere around them to produce some great new work. So all of these things um, are to be encouraged, I think. Mm. Kevin, Kevin could probably tell us about Torbay's answer to Stephen King as well, I think. I've got the book. Yes, ah. Adam Neville, yes. Adam, yeah, Adam Neville. He's, um, we had uh, Adam on in a previous, one of the previous conversations, actually. So, oh, yeah, right. yeah. He, he was chatting, as, the red particularly was something that was coming through. And Adam was mentioning when he was on about... Um, we, about the, the the light, the clarity of the water. I mean, there was things yeah. around the physical um, environment that he, I wouldn't say it directly fed into a particular scene or a particular, but it kind of fed that that kind of creative spirit. I mean, so that that I guess must be at the root of many of this. One of, one of the the 
the good things that come out came out of the the pandemic, if there can be such a thing, um, well, there can be, I think, um, is after lockdown, so many people got out and started exploring our coast more. Um, and, you know, you talk about children not going to the beach and stuff like that. I've never seen so many people walking around coast paths or going to beaches or mm-hmm. going swimming or, or paddle boarding seems to have taken off around here so much. So suddenly I'm seeing so many people. And when you're in a second generation of disconnect from nature, I think it's really important that people are getting out and, 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 and using this incredible natural geopark and this incredible bay we have around us. And, um, you know, any way of encouraging people to do that. And, and I think that was a knock-on effect of being stuck in your houses for a few months is, is getting people out there again. Luckily, luckily, we've had amazing weather as well. So, yeah. you know, if we can encourage people through arts and literature as well, you know, good. That'd be terrific, yeah. And, and there's something about uh, the counterculture, you know, from the 50s and the beatniks to the hippies and, you know, right the way through that, that there was originally the, those young people that were involved in the poetry and the readings and the, you know, Donovan was down here and wrote his um, Catch the Wind and that. So it's that, but they weren't allowed anywhere around the seafront and all those, you know, the, the nice pubs and there's big signs up saying no hippies here. So that kind of counterculture happened two or three streets back. So I'm curious about also some of the other writers that have kind of popped in um, in and out of the story of the English Riviera. And uh, and I know some of them I, I know nothing about. I just know that they're kind of there. So maybe you can enlighten me. James Joyce uh, is one. I mean, what, what's the connection with James Joyce? And yeah, James Joyce, after he wrote Ulysses, he was invited over to stay at the Imperial Hotel to write the analysis of Ulysses. Right. So there's, there's that link. And I mean, the connection there was just that, you know, everybody else claims for this these Bloomsday and festivals have nothing at all to do with James Joyce. We physically had him here. But he didn't do anything. Uh, T.S. Eliot, Robert Louis Stevenson was here for a while. Said the weather Mary was Shelley, something with Mary Shelley. When was she here? What was... Uh, yeah, she came here with Percy um, and she ended up writing a short story, which was found in a, it's a lovely story, found in a palazzo about 10 years ago in Italy and just loosely, loosely written children's story. But she was here. So there's that whole link in the very early days with, you know, romantic poets, and and then it all links up to um, taking opium and all of that kind of thing. And it's different phases as we actually go through. But because Torquay was the richest, particularly Torquay was the richest town in England, we attracted, as Matt was saying, nearly pretty much anybody that was, you know, involved in that. They sort of drifted in, drifted out, did a did a talk, lived here for a few months, wintered here, wrote a few things, then then went off again, including prime ministers and poets, and so it was incredibly rich. I think the Charles Charles Kingsley thing is quite interesting yeah. as well. So, oh, yeah. so he, Charles Kingsley. Yeah, so he was he he was living in a hole up on Dartmoor um, mm. uh, the, the, as the Reverend there, and then his wife sadly had a miscarriage, so they came down to Torquay to for, for her to recuperate, and he started wandering around the seashores around around the headlands, and he wrote this book called Glaucus uh, or the Wonders of the Seashore that became so popular in Victorian times, encouraged people to go out and go seaweeding and drawing pictures of this seaweed in their notebooks. And it, and, it, and it became a really, really huge draw. So I think, I think that's quite an interesting one. So not that, he wasn't inspired to come here. He came here to, to recuperate, and uh, this amazing thing came out of it. I think that's it. Um, more modern, uh, uh, Rosamond Pilcher. Mm-hmm. A number of her stories were set in Torbay, and, and we still, I still bump into German coach loads of elderly ladies that have come down to research her business. You know. And whenever I do a talk for foreign students, they won't know anybody but Rosamond Pilcher, which is really weird. So I think her I, TV... Her book's been turned into German TV shows. That's, that's yeah. what it was, yeah. yes. Um, Vicarage, who was a contemporary of um, Agatha Christie, who wrote one of the best uh, First World War poems in Torquay Town Hall. And again, it's you know you don't hear that. They, they knew each other. And that's all nearly every um, First World War poetry book 
an anthology. She'll have one of the one or two of her poems in there. I'm just trying to think. Um, Sean O'Casey up in Babacan. So you got that, and the, all of these all of these writers and poets got their own backstory that links into something else. So Malcolm Lowry they drank mm-hmm. himself to death at forty three and things like that, and they were stayed locally. So. Kevin, who's the writer that was um, the, the 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 worst poet in the world? The Scottish McGonagall. McGonagall, yeah. McGonagall, of course. He wrote a, he wrote a poem awful talking. They don't all have to be good writers, do they? No. <laughs> and I don't know what's good poetry, what's bad poetry, but um, and, and Tennyson obviously wrote poems in Torquay and so. Um, what were Tennyson's? Uh, uh, yeah, Audley Park, uh, Audley Court. About yes. Yeah. And he talks about the sea in that poem, um, the sort of the flatness of the sea, which, you know, as a resident of Torquay, I often look out over the bay and think, is this just so calm? You know, and it isn't always in the winter. It can be quite stormy. But but Tennyson refers to the sort of, I think, the flat, oily sea. Or That's something. it. Yes. Yeah. Rather a beautiful image. It's all well, Oscar, Oscar Wilde wrote um, letters that were used in the court case while he was in Torquay. Yeah. So, yeah. so love letters to Boesey, I believe. Um, yeah. And then you've got people like Rudyard Kipling who absolutely hated it yeah. here. So he thought that oh, was right. no, That's always interesting. You know, the yeah. one that makes me, we mentioned Darwin earlier on and we had a big thing. Um, it was Darwin's centenary in Plymouth here. We're trying to do a, a big thing. And, and so I started reading up about uh, Darwin's diaries and how when he was, he couldn't get on the Beagle for various reasons and he travelled here, he travelled across to, to Torbay, etc. But there's a lovely line in it because he was so desperate to leave. But I think he tried to leave at Christmas and uh, there was the weather was bad. And then one day of good weather and it was Christmas Day. <laughs> Fitzroy said, we can't leave on Christmas Day. We have to give the... Darwin was fuming. And he right, it was... Those weeks in Plymouth were the worst of my life. Yes. <laughs> we don't well, have to, <laughs> on the branding. I, I, have, I have to say the Galapagos Islands have got nothing on tour bags. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Okay. No, well, you know, it's always nice to know people that came here and, and didn't like it. But, but it's certainly the, in the, the kind of my own minority. And you yeah, I think he, I think he came in here when it was very much a health resort. So you had a lot of people who were very ill going around on respirators and, and yeah. going to these crazy sort of seawater treatment places where they would plunge you into boiling hot water or freezing cold water and wrap you in seaweed and do all sorts of crazy things to you. And that's how Torbay started. It was a health resort before it became a tourism resort. And I think uh, uh, Kipling was here at that point. And he also thought his house was a bit possessed and had a really dark feeling to it as well. Yeah. So. Um, wrote a short story about that, didn't he? So, yeah. yeah. This goes through phases of having a certain association, doesn't it? I mean, I, um, I mean, recently it was the Blue Rins, Shearings Coaches Brigades. Of yeah. People would come down and have Christmas parties in November and anticipate and, and actually provide very little into the, into the city's economy because it was all kind of mm. housed in mm. certain places. And I think one of the things strikes me that the, certainly the geopark's been important for it is is trying to bring a different type of people into the city those that are much more curious and want to be adventurous and whether it's a paddle boarding or going up to dark uh, dark more etc and i guess that splays out into the wider creative kind of context absolutely it brings the money in and it's what people will pay to you know pay to see and go to um so we've got the new art galleries that are coming up you know artisan so those folks are putting a lot of time and energy in and, and it's the international i mean you mentioned alice oswald earlier yeah. on with the beautiful story of the dart and i was in earlier this year i was in delhi and at, a, at the university there and i was in someone's um they invited me back and and i noticed the book on their bookshelf 
and I pointed out, I said, oh, I'm, you know, live very close to it. And they said, that is one of, that is this completely new way of travel writing that's captured a completely different nuanced way of embedding yourself in it. And they started speaking for about 10 minutes on, on this, this, this book that I just drawn attention to. So, yeah, so the, tendrils, the tendrils go out internationally. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the international aspect of it, we, is, is fascinating and, and we could be doing a lot more with it. I mean, you may know that in October last year, Exeter became a UNESCO city of literature. Uh, the publicity hasn't really evolved yet, but you know the, the, the uh, work is going on behind the scenes and it became a UNESCO city of literature. You have to pick a city, uh, Exeter is it for us, but it includes what they call the hinterland of South Devon. Agatha Christie featured very much in mm-hmm. the application for that nomination. And, and the richness of the writers of the Riviera and the UNESCO Geopark connection all contributed to that happening. I mean, I don't know any part of the country that has such a concentration of specialist natural and cultural heritage sites. No, I mean, there's a lovely, lovely story in a way that sort of links Exeter with Torbay and generally South Devon, and that is, of course, the coming of the railway yeah. uh, in, uh, in the 19th century. And later in the 20th century, um, the notion that um, Alan Lane, who started Penguin paperback books, got the idea for a paperback book standing on Exeter, David Station, after he had just visited Agatha Christie uh, in her home in Greenway. So I I rather love that because it, it suggests that, you know, the railways brought people down from London and further north and people needed to book to read on the train. And along comes the paperback book, easily accessible, cheap, etc. And I like to think it had, in no small way, a, a contribution to uh, you know the, the, the flourishing of, of yeah. culture and the interest in reading and writing down here. And, and I guess I was interested in how important you thought that UNESCO designation was. But I guess broadening that out a little bit to how important is it, and with that designation, what could we do? So I don't know who would want to to pick up on. Heather, do you want to get us started on maybe thinking um, about... Yes, well, conservation. You know, that the UNESCO um, uh, accolade uh, uh, as a geopark uh, and in connection with the Exeter City of Literature as well. Um, this gives us, uh, you know, this puts us on a global map uh, more than perhaps in recent decades we felt we were. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to raise concerns. Always hard to attract funding. But being mindful of the beauty we have, not to allow further coastal erosion or loss of marine life and the like, um, I think that that is very important. Again, um, fostering the cultural life that's here. We've all taken a knock through COVID-19, particularly creative practitioners. But coming out of that, recovery of that, uh, in connection with with the potential, uh, marketing potential we have for um, the hospitality industry and, and when we can returning to the bay to enjoy it, enjoy it fully. And I think this conversation has shown how far ranging and the things that we might be missing, the mm. disconnect that we've got, the, the poorer um, members of society who perhaps don't get as much of a look in, in, in uh, enjoying the, the culture that's here as the people who come in and they come in and go, you know. So, um, yes, I, I think the, the UNESCO connections are very important to, to give us a, a place in, in the world and the world's attention on um, how we're managing our future. That's right. Thanks. Matt, what's your thoughts? Um, f- for me, the Geopark and the UNESCO um, 
it, it, everything is about people going out there and enjoying it and using it. And, you know, it really, really scares me to hear these stories that kids might have never been to the beach. Um, or, you know, when people drive to Dartmoor, they, most people don't actually walk more than like 100 foot from their car or whatever, you know. And, you know, and, and really small numbers of people actually going out and using the water in any way, whether it's a boat trip or swimming or whatever. So I just want to see people going out and, and, and using nature and, and, and respecting it while they're out there. Because uh, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. I think it's education about, you know, making sure you, you take away more than you bought with you, um, as in rubbish, not, not fossils. Uh, but uh, yeah, just getting people out there and respecting nature and using it properly and, and enjoying it is, is the, the best thing about that. And I think, as, as Heather said, it's something to frame that within and, and sort of a different way of thinking about the, uh, the beauty we have outside our doors. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay. And last one for you, Kevin. Yeah, um, let's see. Um, my, I mean, I, I said this, I sit on the on the culture board, and as a, almost like a health and social care rep, but also a sort of heritage. I'm mean, this 850 listed buildings in in Torbay, um, and a lot of those Grade Two ones are actually in some of the most deprived areas, you know, the bedsit lands and, and things like that. So it's, um, I think, my interest is in that. Um, Torbay is about 20 years ahead of the rest of the country in terms of an ageing population and I think in terms of social polarisation. So there's some extraordinarily rich people that, you know, got the luxury flats and then there's some very, you know, very deprived people and there's a there's a road, my road here, and it goes along the seafront and you, you go just around the corner and you live eight and a half years longer if you live about 10 feet close to the seafront. So there's that real... So I think I think if we can't sort things out in in Torbay, the rest of the country is going to be in trouble in twenty years' time. So so utilizing what we've got, um, silo breaking in terms of you know how do we use arts and culture to make this a better place? How do we use the geo park and how do we use everything we've got out there and just make it accessible to people physically? Um, and I think COVID has accelerated things that we've been banging on about for years. Whether it's good things, you know, like using digital. Um, or whether it's bad things such as that polarisation yeah. and the, the decline of town centres. And um, we've, we've got some interesting things about how do we you know, change our town centres, how do we make them more accessible, uh, what do we do with the most deprived and, um, and marginalised folks in our community. Um, but we're head of the rest of the country, so let's do it here. And I think we can use geopark and culture and literature and all of that kind of offer to make things better for, for everybody. Sorry it sounds a bit preachy there, but... I hear you exactly and I, and I think that there's a shift in a whole different set of different um, sectors and all the rest that yeah. the realization that it's a that it should be about well-being in the whole and, yeah. and everything that we're doing in some ways there might be of course a, some economic return or some kind of return yeah. um, even in the academic world we're seeing this but but um but for sure, if you're not delivering sustainable human progress and, and improved well-being, then what the hell are we are we doing? And um, in our, each way, and we, we should be doing that. And certainly the UNESCO, UNESCO as a body, that is a, a massive issue. And so trying to feed that down and root it down through mechanisms like the Geopark seems to me a, a really positive aspect. Yeah. Listen, it's been fascinating. Thank you for guiding me through, leading me through by the hand through this. Um, so I, I thought I knew about, about Agatha, but I know lo- a lot more about Agatha. And then, uh, and then the realisation is a whole bunch of really fascinating stories just tucked under the hedgerows is yeah. really wonderful. So thank you for sharing this hour with me. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure.